What's up, guys? Welcome to the show. I believe we are all feeling a little bit better about our current morale regarding the Buffalo Sabres this week. This is just your weekly reminder that you can tweet us and email us. You can find us on Twitter at ickgaw, that's I-C-G-A-W. You can also drop us an email at ickgawpod at gmail.com. Today we're going to be checking out a question that was emailed in regarding the Kyle Poso contract situation and whether or not the Sabres should take any action on that. So feel free to tweet us or shoot us an email and join the conversation. We would love to hear from you. As always, please tell your friends to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. All right, here we go. What's up, my friends? Welcome to It Can't Get Any Worse, America's Worst Podcast for America's Worst Hockey Team. I'm your host, Jay, and on today's show, we'll be discussing Jeff Skinner's return to the Carolina Hurricanes tomorrow night. We'll be recapping a four-point haul against the Panthers, Bruins, and Devils, and we'll be looking to get looking ahead, sorry, to games against the Hurricanes and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And we'll finish the show, as always, talking about what's going on down the road in Rochester, around town in the league, and opening up a mailbag of questions from your fellow listeners. If you enjoy the show, we would so appreciate it if you could drop us a five-star review on iTunes. We so appreciate the support and kind words. Here we go on to part one with what are you reading? And this one's coming from The Athletic, as per usual is kind of a common trend the last couple of weeks. This one's from Buffalo's own John Vogel. And our headline is, Happy Return, Still Beloved by Many, Jeff Skinner Heads Back to Carolina for the First Time as a Sabre. This one was published today as a day of recording. That's Thursday. And we'll open up with John Vogel's opening words. Jeff Skinner pulled into the parking lot of the Backyard Bistro and his SUV was swallowed up. There were cars and fans everywhere. He needed to turn around and it took an eight-point turn just to make the slightest headway. When the 18-year-old rookie walked into the sports bar, fans erupted. And so Vogel opens up discussing Skinner's arrival in Carolina after being drafted, and he was a beloved fan right from the start in Carolina. <laughs> he talks about fans who were crying, security guards were needed to keep things under control, and he was a beloved member of that fan base for eight years. He was active in the community and appreciated by the entire city of Raleigh. Vogel refers to him as the, quote, smiling face of Carolina hockey, and eventually it all comes to an end. Eight years and 204 goals later, he was traded to Buffalo, but he returns to Raleigh for the first time tomorrow night, and as Vogel says, Raleigh is ready, and he cites an interview with a season ticket holder, and we'll go back to the article here. I love the guy, said Matthew Boyd, a longtime season ticket holder, who is also a Hurricane sponsor through his Buffalo Brothers Pizza and Wing Company. No one holds any hard feelings against Jeff Skinner, he says. They'll probably give him the same warm reception they gave Cam Ward and Eric Stahl and everybody else they let go over the years. I think fans actually look forward to that, to be honest. I know I do. They usually do a video clip, and it's a nice way to say goodbye. As a fan, you're not there for the day he's let go, so this is your best thing you can do and give your round of applause and be a part of it. Skinner also provided some words on Raleigh and the community, said, I liked it a lot, the Toronto native said. Moving there at 18 years old, you kind of grow up there in a way, you know? 
You don't have much, that much experience. I was going to high school the year before, and the next year you're living in Raleigh. To get involved in the community and sort of grow up in a way is pretty cool. It's a nice city and a lot of nice people there. There are a lot of relationships that I built there and are, that are good friendships, and I have a lot of good memories. There's a really touching interview with a teacher that follows. Skinner set up a charity while he was there called 53's Difference Makers, and it was a charity specifically set up for teachers. And John Vogel states that selected teachers received a $1,000 donation to their school, a $100 gift certificate to an education store, four tickets to a Hurricanes game, an autographed jersey, and a post-game meet-and-greet. And so Skinner's donation for one of the teachers who was cited was used to buy cookbooks for a multicultural learning unit. And Vogel discusses that uh, Skinner winning the Calder Trophy in his rookie season um, and when he won the Calder Trophy and then was elected to the NHL All-Star Game, which was hosted in Raleigh that year, and that Skinner stayed at the local bistro outside the stadium until almost every fan in attendance got a signature after that All-Star Game. And he interviews an executive with that bistro who discusses how Skinner was just the next big hope for the franchise with the Hurricanes. He was the one who was supposed to finally bring them back to the playoffs, and as Vogel says, that never happened. Though Skinner kept scoring, the team's success was fleeting. With just one year remaining on his contract, both sides agreed to the breakup. As a pending unrestricted free agent, big bucks await Skinner. His future home is a question mark, but there's no doubt where he got his start. His picture remains on restaurant walls, number 53 jerseys are still on the fans, and kids are reading books that he bought. Skinner and Carolina will always have a bond. It was a pretty cool experience, Skinner said. I was pretty lucky to go to a place like that. So obviously this stands to be a pretty emotional night for Jeff Skinner returning to Raleigh for the first time. He, in his time as a Buffalo Sabre, has scored 29 goals. He's currently second in the NHL in goal scoring behind Alexander Ovechkin. And as it was talked about, he's a pending unrestricted free agent. And there is a lot of talk about what Skinner will want to do, what the Sabres will want to do, and whether or not the two of them can come to an agreement. And this was actually a subject of many questions I was asked on Twitter about what I would like to see the Sabres do. And actually, I was asked, what are the Sabres going to do? But I have no, absolutely no insider knowledge. So I'll tell you what I would like to do. There are rumors that Botterill is sitting down with Skinner's representatives in the next week or so, and that kind of sounds legitimate because this was the time period that well over a month ago this was rumored this would be happening is sometime in the middle of January. The Sabres need to make their decisions very soon, and my personal opinion is that they need to make their decisions very public. If they're going to go with him, they need to get him for the right price. That seems kind of obvious. And they, I would think, should be hoping to get him for about $8 million per season on an eight-year contract, we would hope. I really don't think they should go a dime over 8.5. I've read and heard a few things that Skinner is going to want Eichel money and going to want $10 million. I don't think Either party realistically expects that he's going to get that money, and I don't see a world where the Sabres even consider giving that to him. But if they can't come to an understanding in that regard, I will hope that they've learned from the Evander Kane situation last season. They waited so long before finally accepting an offer, and then all of a sudden it didn't seem like there were any offers or there were any takers. It almost felt like they were practically begging someone to take Evander Kane at the deadline, and the return was originally 
quite depressing. That conditional second-round pick eventually became a first-round pick because Evander Kane re-signed with the San Jose Sharks, but we were originally quite down on that deal when it was just Daniel Reagan and that conditional second. If the Sabres aren't going to keep Jeff Skinner, they need to generate a market. I I think that's going to be significantly easier than it was with Evander Kane. Skinner has put up significantly better numbers this season on the ice. Skinner is a significantly better person off the ice, and I think there could be an easy possibility for generating a market to send him out as a possible rental towards the end of the season as we get closer to the deadline. If the Sabres decide that that's what they want to do, I just really hope that they commit to that decision and don't go back and forth about trying to get a contract in front of him repeatedly while also trying to peddle him and get a trade orchestrated. Like They they need to pick what they're going to do and commit to that early on and publicly so that they can make the best decision possible and make the easiest decision possible and get the best price, whether that's on a contract or whether that's in a return for a trade. Look, Honestly, we have been blessed with watching a great player and a great guy play in our favorite team's sweater. Whatever happened, or whatever happens in the near future, I'm happy that he was here this season as long as the deal gets done. If that's a good signing and a good contract that's beneficial for the team and for Skinner, I'll be ecstatic about that. If it's a trade that is beneficial for the Sabres either now and or going forward in the future, I'll be really happy about that as well. But the Sabres need to make the right decision in this regard. It's going to be a difficult decision to walk away from a player that we have really fallen in love with this season. We haven't had a lot of players of Jeff Skinner's quality in the last decade, and it's been a real blessing to have him. If it's time, eventually, man, it's weird to think, but like in about a month and a week, we'll know what Jeff Skinner or the plan for Jeff Skinner is in the near future. So all eyes on the California game, which we, California, all eyes on the Carolina game, which we'll be checking out later in this episode, all eyes on Jeff Skinner in the next month and a half to see what's going to happen before the deadline. That's about it for what are you reading? I will tweet out that link and drop a link to it in the show notes. What do you guys think about the Jeff Skinner situation? Are we looking at a situation where we want to see him I don't know. Like, pick pick one. Pick your poison. Would we rather see Jeff Skinner sign for what is probably too much money, or would we rather see him traded? Um, I, I think that's a difficult decision for for any fan to make. I think it's an even more difficult situation for Jason Botterill to make, since it's it's his job and his career and and the standing of this team on the line. That's it for what are you reading? Join us in part two, where we'll be checking out a four point haul against the Panthers, Bruins, and Devils. We'll see you guys in a second. What's up, guys? Welcome to part two. We're going to be reviewing the Sabres' last three games, and we're starting off last Thursday when the Sabres welcomed the Panthers to town. And uh, during the day on this one, Eichel was declared day-to-day with that upper body injury he sustained in the previous game. Housley said at the time that he would miss this one and the game against Boston. We found out that he would eventually miss the game against the Devils as well. But the Sabres had to roll out with a bit of a new-look line setup with uh, Skinner, Rodriguez, and Reinhardt running the top line. Sherry Sabatka-Thompson, Eli Middlestat-Pominville, Smith-Larson-Ocposo, 
And we were looking at Pilot, Bogosian, McCabe, Risto, Scandella, Darlene with Allmark in goal. And into the first period, there were some early exchanges early on in the game, saves by both Luongo and Allmark. And four minutes in or so, the new top line does well to keep some pressure in the offensive zone. Sam and Skinner ended up battling on the right-hand side of the boards, and Skinner flips a pass out to no one at first, but then he scoots off the boards and collects his own pass on the other side of two Panthers. He goes into the slot, and he goes outside of Dennis Malgin, and then he goes inside of Dennis Malgin, and then he comes back around Dennis Malgin and snipes Luongo's top blocker corner while falling down over Dennis Malgin's stick. It was an absolutely filthy goal. Reinhardt officially gets an assist on that one, and that's 15 assists in Reinhardt's last 17 games. That's 15 assists alone, not even counting his goals in the last 17 games. Three minutes later, Sherry picks a pass in the neutral zone and goes to Sabatka, who feeds Tage Thompson over the line in transition, and Tage Thompson five holes a wrister through Luongo, 2 nothing, seven minutes in. Sabres have to kill one early on as Rasmus Dahlin goes to the box for an interference call. Panthers have the second best power play in the league going into this one, but the Sabres kill with almost no issues, holding the Panthers to just one shot. The Sabres were the fifth best penalty kill going into this one, so there's a little bit of a narrative there. And the next passage of play ends with Dahlin just dropping a bomb on Luongo that he managed to wrap up somewhere. Shots on the period end evenly at 12 apiece. Sabres are 2-0 up and are looking to finally get one over their divisional rival after losing the last, I believe, six or seven in a row to the Panthers. There's some chirpy moments uh, between Skinner and the Florida bench as it ends. We thought that would be something to keep an eye on, but nothing really came of that later in the game after that whole Keith Yandel incident a couple games ago against the Panthers. Nothing really of that sort in this game, but we're going into the second. Sabres start this one somewhere near on top. Some saves are drawn on Luongo. Some high-sticking calls go uncalled for both teams. Both sides are disgruntled about it, but nothing really comes of it. First 10 pass without much of an incident until Tage Thompson goes to the box for tripping. Sabres killed excellently again. It's not the Sabres period for large portions of this one after that. Allmark is called on to make a few squirrely ones out in front. Panthers are definitely woken up now, and the Sabres are struggling to establish any kind of possession. And the Panthers capitalize. They pull one back with six minutes remaining. Dahlin got decked by Keith Yandel off the puck in the offensive zone, and that clears the way for Frank Vetrano to come the other way on a two-on-one against Scandella and somebody else. I can't remember to be particularly honest, but Vetrano keeps it himself and rifles one over Allmark's shoulder. Sabres look to respond as they set Sherry going down the right-hand side, but Luongo makes a glove save look pretty easy. Sabres fans were pretty grumpy about that no call on Darlene leading to the goal, but they get a pretty light hooking call on Mike Hoffman a few minutes later, and they look to get their two-goal lead back. It's an interesting lineup sans Jack Eichel of uh Jeff Skinner, Evan Rodriguez, Kyle Ocposo, Sam Reinhart, and Rasmus Ristolainen, and they're pretty abysmal, if we're going to be frank. The B team of Sabatka, Sherry, Pilot, Tage Thompson, and Rasmus Dahlin does exponentially better. They're moving the puck so well. They get a great Tage Thompson wrister on net, but with that note, they were hauled off for the A team for the faceoff, and the A team then didn't do much of anything. Akposo rang the post a few seconds later. A few good 
periods of possession for the Sabres, and they end the period on a bit of an ascendancy. Shots are still even on this one, but the period and the goals in possession probably belong to the Panthers on this one. Into the third, the Sabres try to start this one on a bright note, and they get into the zone, and Bogo cycles the puck back to Pilot. Pilot drops one from the left-hand side, and it flies into the net. Sam Reinhardt gets a great tip on it, so the goal is his. Ekblad had some complaints about it. Reinhardt's stick might have collided with Ekblad's head before we got the tip in, but the goal stands and the Sabres get their two-goal lead that was lost through a bit of an injustice. They get it back through a bit of an injustice. The puck ends up in the net a minute later. Scandella dropped one straight into the net, but the reason it went in so easily is that Kyle Poso had ended up underneath Luongo after tripping over somebody. The replay actually kind of showed a bit of a comical moment where Kyle Poso was trapped underneath Luongo, and he sees that Scandella is winding up about to shoot, and so Kyle just puts his hands over his face and turtles up trying to not to take that one in the face. Goal is taken back, um, and we, we resume. Sabres draw a tripping call six minutes in as Thompson gets bowled over by Mark Pesek. Welcome back, buddy, as they were challenging for a rebound. The puck has barely dropped, and suddenly the ref's arm goes up again. Ekblad has rather angrily slashed Skinner off the puck, and so we go to a long five-on-three, which is a rather big, flat disappointment. Skinner and Ristolainen get a couple shots each, but they end up outside the zone more often than they end up inside the zone. And a few minutes later, the Sabres have to kill one of their own. This time it's Ocposo to the box for hooking, and this is their shakiest penalty kill of the evening. The Panthers are moving it well, and after some good chances, there's a scrum out front, and Allmark can't get a handle on it. The puck leaks out to Mike Hoffman, who smacks it home into an empty net, 3-2 with eight minutes remaining. Everybody, hold on to your butts. Just as we were starting to get uncomfortable, Jeff Skinner catches a puck out of the air in the defensive blue line and bears in on Yandel and Luongo. He finds some space and snaps one off of Luongo's side into the side of the net for his 28th of the season. That's probably another one that Luongo is going to want back if we count that Tage Thompson five hole as a blunder for him. It's an off night for him on the back of his outstanding performance against the Sabres in Buffalo a few weeks ago. We'll take this one for sure. Panthers pull with three minutes remaining. They capitalize on their man advantage 90 seconds later. Yandel lets a blast go. Barkov collects the rebound and mops up. Please resume holding your butts. And it's all Panthers for the last 90 seconds. Risto sends one from deep that's just wide of the empty net. Reinhardt gets another look that's just wide. It ends up with a Ristolainen and clearance rolling directly into the post after some frantic defensive play, and the horn sounds... You can let go of your butts. Sabres snap a three-game losing streak and finally slay their dragon after their last of uh, the last several outings. They snapped a six-game losing streak against the Panthers. A couple points from this one. Point one, Sabres are surviving without Eichel in this one. Evan Rodriguez was good in most situations. It's not even worth saying that he's not a like-for-like -like replacement. That's obvious. But he was fast and he was skillful and could, at the very least, keep up with Skinner and Reinhardt who were both quite good on the night. Skinner was fantastic tonight, stepping up in Eichel's absence. Johan Larson was a big performer of the night. He was second only to, to Sabatka in ice time for forwards. Tage Thompson had a great night. He had his goal. He led the team with five shots on goal. The defensive core was active. Scandella looked serviceable today. Risto ate up minutes with over 28 minutes played, although I have to say he was pretty unremarkable in this one. 
Rasmus Dahlin had a weird 15 minutes of ice time that was almost nine minutes lower than he had been averaging. He did get taken off for some facial repairs early on, but he didn't miss that much. Um, And so this seemed to be an active decision to limit his ice time on this one. Also a bit of a weird ice time for Casey Middlestat. The four centers had ice times of 20 minutes and 27 seconds for Sabatka, 19 minutes and 22 seconds for Larson. Those might seem kind of high, but they also kill penalties. 17:21 for Erod, who also kills penalties, and 8 minutes and 48 seconds for Casey Middlestat. He was listed as the fourth line center tonight, and I thought that that would just be on paper and he would be playing actually more of like a second line center role, but that this wasn't to be the case. Um, in better news, CJ Smith looked quite good. Connor Sherry had a pretty solid game, although a few chances died at the end of his stick on this one. And the Sabres have to do this for at least one more, and we'll find out that it would actually be two more games. Eichel was declared out at least through Saturday. He didn't make it for the Tuesday game either. Point two. The Sabres are letting in too many goals off scrums and dirty work. In recent memory, I can think of the Mike Hoffman power play goal tonight that dribbled in because the puck wasn't covered up and he wasn't tied up. Think about the Barkov goal today where he collected a rebound on challenge and mopped up in front of net. I think about Robert Thomas's goal in St. Louis where the puck dribbled in after Hutton couldn't cover it. I think about Troy Brower's goal in the last Florida game where he wasn't tied up before getting a rebound. Frank Vitrano in the same Florida game that was basically the same thing. Think about the winner against the Capitals where Hutton got trapped and no one checked Tom Wilson coming in all alone. That's all I can think of right now at the top of my head. I know there are more, and I think the Sabres have been quite good defensively. Their defensive core has been fantastic this season and a significant improvement over last season. But it's surprising to me that this happens so often, especially considering how rough and tumbling we like to consider Bogo, Risto, McCabe, and Scandella to be. I think there's some work to be done there. Point three, 41 games halfway through the season, 50 points. And we have been really disappointed over the last month, and the Sabres fan base has been really vocal about how they've been really disappointed over the last month. But let's be real. If we had been offered 50 points halfway through the season in October, we would have snatched it out of the hands of the seller. The Sabres end this one in the first wild card spot in what has is and what will continue to be an incredibly tight playoff race. They're going to need to mop a few things up and find some consistency, and they're going to need to find it quickly if they're going to remain in the position that they're in. But what a what a great season so far the Sabres are having, considering, I mean, we're at 50 points, and I believe the number of last season in the entire season was 62 points. And 50 points off of 41 games is certainly something that I'm going to be cheering about, even if we haven't been so happy over the last month. Moving on to our next one, the Sabres travel to Boston uh, Saturday night. I was unable to watch this one. Um, I had some stuff to do out of the house, but the lineup was virtually the same, and there was news that Eichel had at least made it on the ice at the Harbor Center that day, but it was a no-go for this game. It's Allmark in net again, and it's Rask in net as well. The Bruins score 20 seconds in through Chris Wagner as he collects a Sean Corrali rebound. It's waved off for goalie interference because Corrali just totally cleared out Allmark as he put his attempt on net. Halfway through the period, they do score. Achari gets on the end of a very sloppy Darlene turnover. He plays a one-touch pass right into Wagner, who nets one for the second time in the night. This time it counts. 
Sabres do get a few looks, but none of them come from big-time contributors. Um, the fourth line in particular comes through rather strongly for them at times in the first period. Shots finished 10-13 in favor of the Bruins into the second, and the highlight of the first two minutes is just the ghost of Zdeno Chara playing himself away from Tage Thompson with a behind-the-back pass that then tees up Wagner out front. A few seconds later, the Bruins come over the line in a two-on-one against Rista with Bacchus and Marchand. Bacchus carries and just roofs one right under the crossbar, and it's 2-0. This period is all Bruins. Allmark saves on Wagner again. He saves on Moore. He saves on Marchand. He saves on Corrali. The, that line in particular was murdering them this period, the wagner Corrali line. Some late pressure by the Sabres does see some attempts on target through Skinner and Middlestat. You can definitely tell watching the highlights that Skinner was trying his hardest to carry this his team, um, but those efforts pad the shot totals, which end 10-15 Bruins in this one, and that 10 shots is probably pretty flattering for the Sabres in this, this period. Into the third... Let's be honest, there's not a great deal to chat about for this one. The Sabres are the ones with the work to do, but they're being thoroughly outworked for vast portions. There are some bright spots. Four minutes in, Skinner takes a Dahlin pass from the goal line to center ice that he plays beautifully around Miller. He sends the puck one way and he goes the other way, comes in on Rask, but Rask saves the attempt and the rebound. Corrali gets more luck. Uh, more looks, sorry. Marchand missed a wide open net as he got played in perfectly by Pasternak. Allmark barely pushes a power play Krug blast wide. It wasn't the Sabres period even down two. With three minutes in, Ristolainen collected one in the neutral zone and goes on a little mazy run through the right-hand side. He caught the Bruins in a change and just had to loop around Chara and wrist one into the high corner over Rask. 2-1, and that was essentially... It. In a period where the Sabres are hunting a two-goal deficit, they're outshot 12-3. couple points from this one. We saw Casey Middlestat enter a 1C role late on, and it was pretty effective. Housley said it was for fresh legs, and that's a distinct possibility considering he was low on ice time in this game, and as we talked about with the Panthers game, was incredibly low on ice time in that game. That's a possibility that it was just about fresh legs, but it's also possible that we might see a bit more of the Casey Middlestat item there if Sabatka and Erod continue to flounder in that top line center role. That said, Evan Rodriguez did take four shots this period that was, or sorry, this game that was good for second on the team behind Skinner's six. And that, you know, obviously a line devoid of Jack Eichel is not going to be as productive, but Jeff Skinner was productive in this game. He was generating some chances. You can't really point to him. He, he didn't put the puck in the back of the net, but you can't really point to Skinner or Reinhardt on this one as not carrying their weight. It's just more of a look at this bottom six that doesn't seem to be able to get it done on their own. Point two, I just want to raise a point here that the calls for Phil Housley to be fired after this game are comical at best. And to those who have raised these objections, I just want to ask you, what did you expect this team to be and to do this season? Housley was what he was last season, dealing with what he had. The Sabres finished bottom of the league last season, and I don't point any fingers at Phil Housley for that performance. The Sabres have been incredible this season for what they are and what we were expecting, and I do give Phil Housley credit for a lot of those 
successes and a lot of those achievements. I think he's been a great motivator. I think he's been a great coach. The Sabres, think about this game. The Sabres, a team who are still at the beginnings of their rebuild, lost their best generational level talent player and then lost a game at the home of a divisional rival who are currently in their winning window. They were outplayed, but they only lost 2-1. Everybody calm down, all right? We're going to be okay. Moving on to the Devils Tuesday night. Um, Reinhardt and Eichel skated in this one. Sam Reinhardt was very sick, apparently, but was declared in. Eichel is sitting for one more. Housley said he's just about there, but this is just to be cautious. I think that's a realistic decision in that I would rather watch Eichel sit for one more than risk aggravating something that would see him out for another five or so. News of the day was that Scott Wilson was placed on waivers. Remember, he broke his ankle in preseason. It was an interesting move considering the team didn't have to waive him to put him on a conditioning stint in Rochester, but the Sabres seemed convinced that, first of all, he needed more time in Rochester to get ready to play, and two, they seemed convinced that he wasn't going to be claimed because he'd been injured all season. We found out that he did successfully clear waivers, and he will be with Rochester for the foreseeable future. Carter Hutton was in net, and the stat of the day for this one was that he was winless in six games, which you think about is kind of ridiculous considering how good we've thought Carter Hutton has been this season and the praises we've been singing about him so far this season. Six in a row seems pretty drastic, but here we are. Devils are without Taylor Hall with a lower body injury, um, and they come into this one after losing to Vegas on Sunday. Keith Kincaid is in net for the Devils, and the Sabres go back to an interesting top line of Jeff Skinner, Vladimir Sabatka, and Tage Thompson. It goes Sherry, Erod, Sam, CJ, Johan, Kyle, and Zemgus Giergensen's Casey Middlestat and Jason Pominville on the fourth line. Into the first, the Sabres start strongly and get a few shots on Kincaid. The next thing you know, the Devils, Devils, the Devils are in the Sabres zone. Woods squares to Blake Coleman out in front, and it's 1-0 90 seconds in. Sabatka was in his zip code, but he failed on an attempt to block the pass and didn't tie Coleman up. It goes off Coleman's skate and goes through Hutton, 1-0 90 seconds in. It gets worse before it gets better. Darlene whacks Nico Hirsch here in the face and goes to the box. Thankfully, some good work from Zemgis Giergensen's and Johan Larson sees it off. There's some chances for Tage Thompson, who actually led the team in shots this period and this game, three shots this period, and some good chances from Johan Larson, who picked an awful pass right in front of the net but couldn't capitalize. But that's how it ends. The Sabres are out shooting 11-4 to on this period, but they're down where it counts. Some good periods of possession leave it promising, but they need to generate something meaningful in the second period. And boy do they. A minute and a half in, Skinner blows over the line on a Tage Thompson feed. He burns past Ben Lovejoy, but ends up really wide of the net. No matter, he snipes a brilliant shot to the top corner for his 29th of the season. That's second overall in NHL scoring, 29 of the season. Devils have a few good minutes of pressure. Giergensens, Akposo, and C.J. Smith get trapped on the ice for an extended period of time before they can establish possession. But three minutes later, C.J. Smith squeezes one under the arm of Keith Kincaid. It just barely crawls over the line, but they review it to delay the awarding of his first NHL goal. It's good, and it's 2-1. Assists go to the whole line of Larson on a dump-in that C.J. Smith latched onto, and Akposo, who had given it to Larson before he dumped it. Good to see them get credit for that one. Devils look to respond, and Hutton does just enough to push a Blake Coleman wrister onto the post. 
At the turn of the period, Casey Middlestat gets played over by Bogosian. He comes inside Damon Severson and backhands one on Kincaid, all in the flash of an eye. Kincaid makes the pad save, but Casey gets a split-second stick on the rebound to bury it. All of that happened at just breakneck speed. It was impressive play for the youngster. Jeff Skinner went to the box shortly afterwards with about five minutes left in the period for slashing. Sabres kill. On that ensuing power play, though, Sabatka picks a pass slash shot and sets Evan Rodriguez going the other way. Erod comes over the line on a two-on-one with McCabe, set free by Sabatka. He squares to McCabe, who buries it for his first goal in, I believe, 16 games, and it's 4-1. Random question, how many two-on-ones does Erod come up on? There's a That's a combination of speed and intelligence right there. He doesn't always have the finishing ability, but this time it's an easy deposit for McCabe. A couple minutes later, Pilot throws one on net, and Reinhardt is out front and just gets decked in the back by Steven Santini. We probably would have seen a power play opportunity if the puck hadn't just gone right in the net. Reinhardt's screen was perfect. Kincaid can't see it, and it soars into the corner for Lawrence Pilot's first NHL goal. That's first NHL goals for C.J. Smith and Lawrence Pilot this game. Tage Thompson goes on a highlight reel coast-to-coast play, but is denied by Kincaid. Erod's also denied off a good attempt, and the period ends with a five-goal haul, outshooting the Devils 15-9 in a dominant second stanza. Into the third, there are some shaky moments early on. The Sabres have to kill a middle stat penalty. The Devils find a few decent opportunities. Nico Hershier gets denied by Hutton and by a post on a breakaway. The Sabres gain control, and there's not too much to talk about at that point. Erod and Bogosian dropped the gloves in a rather non-eventful scuffle after a couple words were exchanged. Sabres go on a power play from one point and generate some decent opportunities. Tage Thompson was flexing his muscles on a few one-timers. It's fun, but it's fruitless. And that's how it ends. Sabres improved to 2-2 and since Eichel went down, and that's not bad for missing your best player. We've got to be honest. couple points from this one. Point one. Tage Thompson had a game tonight. He led the team in shots on goal with six. The MSG broadcast said he took 11 total shots throughout the game. He was frequently involved in the play going forward. He was solid enough when called upon on the back end, but as a top-line player in this one, he didn't get too many defensive face-off opportunities. He really benefited from those top-line minutes, and we just hope that he'll be able to capitalize on something. He was second in forwards in ice time, and he got one point. We need to see some more from him, but he's getting what he vocally said he didn't get in St. Louis, which is a chance. He's getting these opportunities, and he's starting to shine in them. Point two, the Islanders lost in the same night, which is great news for our playoff race. This wild card race is going to be the story of the East, as we imagine that Tampa is obviously locked in. Toronto is probably obviously locked in. We would assume, as we predicted at the beginning of the season, that the Bruins will be locked in. This wild card race between the Sabres, Canadians, Islanders, and maybe Hurricanes if they can sneak in, but I'm not ready to commit to that. Will be interesting. The Canadians did beat Detroit. Um, and the Bruins beat or won as well, although I can't remember exactly who they beat on this night. So some to celebrate and some to lament, but the playoff race continues. Point three, an interestingly even contribution from the team tonight. The only players on the team who didn't have a point were Giergensen's, Pominville, Scandella, and Sam Reinhart, oddly enough. Every other player had exactly one point. No one formally contributed to more than one goal in the game, which was pretty interesting. Stock up. 
we got to talk about Tage Thompson. He's had increased ice time and has been really impressive playing on the top line against the Devils. In practice today, we found out that he's being rewarded playing on a top line with Skinner and the now healthy Jack Eichel. We'll hope that he can capitalize on those opportunities. He had a goal and an assist over these last three games. And if we go back a couple of months, we questioned the plan for his development early in the year with not or making the decision to not send him to Rochester and making the decision to play him on the third and fourth lines or to not even play him in some circumstances at all. But here we are. He's got five goals, four assists for nine points as a 21-year-old, and he's being put in a position where I would imagine we're going to see those numbers grow quite quickly over the next few weeks if he's able to grab these opportunities. We've got to be rooting for this kid. He's the signature piece in the O'Reilly deal. He's kind of becoming our prime piece from the 2016 draft, depending on how Alex Nylander works out. We're all in on this kid, and I think we've got to be. Also stock up over these three games, we got to give it to C.J. Smith. He got his first NHL goal against the Devils. He's looked good in every game he's played in, probably outside of that game against the Bruins where nobody really looked good. And he might be a player, Cross, like knock on wood, cross your fingers, he might be a player in this bottom six that Phil Housley can learn to rely on. Those kind of players are hard to come by in the Sabres this season. Stock down, kind of tough to do after or while talking about two or a three-game haul in which two of the games were quite impressive, one of which we're just going to let go. Um, But I'm going to single out Remy Eli, I guess. He's got one point in 18 games played for the Sabres. He was grabbed on waivers after trading Nick Baptiste. And let's be honest, he was not brought in to score. But you've got to think we're probably going to be seeing the end of his tenure as a Buffalo Sabre once Scott Wilson gets healthy and returns from Rochester. Remy Eli was never part of the plans, and I don't think we ever would have seen him had Scott Wilson not gone down injured shortly after trading Nick Baptiste. So we're in this position where we've got a player that I don't think really fits a role that anyone in the organization needs. I'm interested to see if they decide to waive him, and if they decide to waive him, whether Dallas comes calling back to bring him back into their organization or somebody else takes a punt. Other than Dallas wanting him back, I don't see anybody really being that interested in Remy Eli, and that probably kind of illustrates why I've selected him for the stock down portion over this chunk of game. So I don't know. I don't mean to be too critical of him. He is what he is, and we knew what he was when we got him, but not the most impressive start to his tenure as a Sabre and a short tenure, I would imagine, where we can probably expect. That's it for part two. Join us in part three, where we'll be previewing the Sabres' next outings, talking about what's going on down the road in Rochester, around town in the league, and opening up our mailbag of questions from your fellow listeners. We'll see you guys in a second. All right, welcome to part three, and we're going to start off with our previews, and I realized as I was about to start part three that I've been lying to you throughout this whole episode saying that we're previewing three games. We're only looking at two because the Sabres have two games Friday and Saturday before a little bit of a break before they end up on a three-game road trip before the All-Star game. So we'll come at you with a new episode in between that time. First game we're talking about is tomorrow night in Carolina against the Hurricanes. That's on Friday. And since this offseason, the entire Sabres-Hurricanes narrative has involved Jeff Skinner. We know what he is and what he's done, but the story in Carolina, rather publicly, is that they want to acquire a goal scorer like Jeff Skinner. 
And I'm interested to see the reception given to Skinner. We talked about it in the beginning of the episode that one season ticket holder fan seems to think it will be a good reception for him. If you probably see a video shown of his time there and a thank you for him. I get the sense that the fans were appreciative of him for all of his tenure there, but there was a very public um, kind of discrediting of Jeff Skinner's impact, and he was kind of made the face of the hurricane struggles by the ownership in particular. That and some issues with some coaching staff, I believe, that happened culminated in his move this offseason and even at the cut rate deal the Sabres got for him. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what the reception is like from the fans, but also from everyone else in the Carolina Hurricanes organization. Aside from Skinner, the narrative that has involved or the narrative with the Carolina Hurricanes that's probably been the most involved was their significant trade with the Flames that saw Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin swap places with Dougie Hamilton and Michael Furland. So after moving Lindholm and Skinner, they've watched them score 20 and 28 goals, um, 29 goals, sorry, after that Devils game, respectively. While the Hurricanes have struggled for goals, they have the third worst goals per game average with 2.61. They've been public about wanting to sign or wanting to trade for and acquire a goal scorer. And meanwhile, two guys that they traded away have scored 48 goals between them um, since leaving the team. The Sabres will have to keep an eye on a few parties. We don't need to be a Debbie Downer on them the whole way. Sebastian Ajo has 16 goals and 29 assists this season. We'll also see number two overall pick Andrei Svechnikov, who has 11 goals and eight assists on the season. It'll be fun to watch him play. I haven't watched a whole lot of the Hurricanes this season, so I'm kind of excited to check that one out and see them play. From that, the Sabres have a back-to-back as they travel back home to play Tampa, and Tampa have firmly placed themselves at the top of the standings. They have 68 points, which makes them the best in the league by a full eight points over the second-place Flames. It's not news. They're the complete package from back to front, and they've been capable of surviving all hiccups faced in the first half of the season. The last time the Sabres faced them, it was Sands Vasilevsky, who was out with a broken ankle. The Sabres lost 5-4 in Tampa with Louis Domingue in net. Deming wasn't that good in that game and really wasn't that good over the month or so that the Bolts were without Vasilevsky and they still didn't miss a beat. They're 8-1-1 in the last 10. They play the Hurricanes tonight before coming to Buffalo on Saturday. The Sabres will have to look out for, well, like the whole team, but Braden Point is their current goal scoring leader with 26 goals and 31 assists. And Nikita Kucherov is their point leader with 21 goals and 50 assists. 21 goals and 50 assists in 43 games is absolutely insane. This is going to be a very difficult game for the Sabres to play, especially on a back-to-back. We'll see what they're going to be capable of doing. Moving on to a down the road, the Amherst get Scott Wilson on waivers. Um, or sorry, yes, he passed waivers and he will be spending the foreseeable time there. Um, this probably has to do with a few different factors. Number one, the Sabres probably decided that Scott Wilson needed a little bit more game time before he's going to be ready, probably more than the conditioning stint that 
um, he would have been able to do. Remember, we saw Matt Hunwick do a two-game conditioning stint. I'm not exactly sure what the maximum number of games you can get, but it's probably not much more than that. I think the Sabres decided that they'd like to see Scott Wilson get a few more games than that, so they waived him and got him through waivers. He'll be here probably for the foreseeable future until he's ready to go up. I'm kind of interested with the All-Star break in a couple of weeks um, happening for the NHL season, which it does not happen for for the AHL season, at least at the same time. I'm kind of interested to see if we don't possibly also see Lawrence Pilot, but also maybe Casey Middlestat and Tage Thompson come down just for a couple of games, like any guys who can pass through or don't have to pass through waivers. I'm kind of interested to see if we don't see some of them come down just for a couple of games during that week. Um, I'm not entirely sure that that's a, a really realistic item, but I'd be interested to see whether or not that is something that would occur. Uh, the Amherst last week won their game against Bridgeport that was going on when we were recording last Wednesday. They then went 1-1 one and one against Laval over the weekend. They won Friday night but weren't quite able to get it done on Saturday night. Rochester plays the Marlies tomorrow, and then they're in Toronto to play the Marlies on Saturday night. And then they do not play... Um, until the following Friday and Saturday where they play at Wilkes-Barre Scranton and Lehigh Valley. Moving on to around town, we'll talk about the World Juniors for a second. Finland were declared the World Junior Champions. Sabres prospect Uko Pekka Lukanen was named to the tournament all-star team, and Sabres prospect Oksari Laksanen was also on the team. The two were drafted by Buffalo in 2017. Uh, Uko Pekka Lukanen plays in the OHL, and Laksanen currently plays professionally in Finland. They defeated in the gold medal game Sabres 2018 second-round pick Matthias Samuelsson, who played for the U.S., um, the only other major news was something that came out today with issues between the Blue Jackets and Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, this comes from Aaron Portsline of The Athletic, and this is a quote from him. A meeting is planned before the Blue Jackets practice on Friday. General Manager Yarmo Kekalainen said, if the meeting goes well, Bobrovsky could be on the ice for practice and with the team when they travel to play Washington on Saturday. If not, and here's the quote, I'm not going to speculate on any of that until we resolve the issue, Kekalainen said. He told The Athletic, we'll meet before practice Friday and deal with it. There are certain values and expectations we have for players, no matter who it is. If you don't live up to them, there are going to be consequences. And so a bit of an interesting develop, some development, sorry, something happened with Bobrovsky that is going to keep him out of a few games in some kind of disciplinary standpoint. It's really interesting because there has been an open and somewhat publicly accepted, although never officially confirmed, disagreement between Bobrovsky and Blue Jackets coach John Tortorella. Bobrovsky, as is highly talked about, is a UFA at the end of the season, along with fellow superstar um, Artemi Panarin. And so this is just kind of another twist in the story. And we're gonna it's gonna be interesting to see what we're gonna see happen with the Blue Jackets. This little narrative is probably coming at the worst time for the Blue Jackets as we are bearing down uh, not bearing down, but we we see the trade deadline on the horizon, and the whole narrative with the Blue Jackets this season has been what are they going to do with pending UFAs Panarin and Bobrovsky? And with this item going on right here, suddenly the 
Are they going to trade Bobrovsky before the deadline, despite the fact that they have a cup contending team narrative starts to perk up just a little bit more. So we're keeping our eye on that one. Moving on to our mailbag, remember you can tweet us at ickgaw, that's I-C-G-A-W. You can also drop us an email at ickgawpod at gmail.com. This email comes from Mike, and Mike says, Just found your podcast this season and look forward to every new episode. Do you think the Sabres should look at packaging a draft pick and a young player, such as Gooley, along with Akposo, to try and move the Akposo contract? The ideal trading partner would be looking to rebuild and would have a player around the same annual salary but with fewer years, i.e. Kovalchuk. Would it be worth the young player and a pick to save a couple years on the Akposo contract? I realize in the next year or so it is not a huge issue, but in three years if the team needs the flexibility to add the one piece to get over the top, that contract could be a real issue. Thanks, Mike from Roanoke, Virginia. And yeah, Mike, we were talking about this a little bit last episode. It really didn't take us that long for us to really dislike that Ocposo contract. He got a seven-year, $6 million per year contract after a career year with the Islanders, and we've never seen that Kyle Ocposo who earned that money in a Buffalo sweater. I love Kyle Ocposo. Uh, he just very clearly makes too much money, and at 30 years old this season, turning 31 in April, he's not getting any, getting any younger. And four more years of that contract will make things a little bit hard in that regard. I'm not so sure that I want to say that the Sabres will need to move on. The cap is going to go up, and the good news for an aging Kyle Poso is that he was never that quick to begin with. So when the speed starts to go, it's not like his game is going to have to change that much. If he can produce moderately over the next few seasons, the Sabres might never reach a situation where that Ocposo money is the reason they can't do something that they want to do with their cap situation. But... If he doesn't produce like he has not been producing this season, we might be looking at a situation just like Mike described. I don't love the idea of having to dump a contract that your team gave out, but if that's what's going to be needed for the Sabres to reach an additional level of their game, then we might be looking at dropping a prospect and a pick to get rid of ourselves of that situation. I am... Mike specifically mentioned Gooley. I don't know that it would necessarily be Gooley at that point, considering he'd probably be like 23 or 24 by the time we start seeing this be an idea that the Sabres might be entertaining. But it could be someone in the system right now or someone we don't even know about yet. Um, But I, I would imagine it will be a couple years before we really see some kind of movement on that. They're not in a position where they need to dump Kyle Ocposo or I think even want to be dumping Kyle Ocposo. There's a good player in there and we know what he's capable of. We have not seen anything like what we know he's capable of this season, which has been really concerning, which is why we're here talking about it. Something that will complicate that possible move in the near future is that Ocposo does have a modified no trade clause that kicked in this year of his contract. So starting this year, Ocposo has a 15-team 
no trade list, assuming he submitted his list a la Patrick Berglund. So I'm sure he learned from that mistake and got his list in if it wasn't there already. Mike, great question. Um, I kind of had a non-answer on that one in that I think it really depends on a few different factors of what is Kyle Ocposo in a couple of years and what are the Sabres trying to do and what does the cap situation look like. Um, Definitely a scenario I think that's going to be evolving as we go forward. Definitely something that I think if the Sabres are looking to make that final push to improve the team in a certain way, Kyle Ocposo could be one of those names they try to package in something um, to then make a subsequent move. Mike, thank you so much for your question. Thanks so much for listening and for your support. As always, remember, guys, you can drop us a tweet at ickgaw or an email at ickgawpod at gmail.com. All that information is in the show notes. We'll be coming at you next week to talk about these games against the Hurricanes and the Lightning. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, we would so appreciate it if you would drop us a five-star review on iTunes. Tell your friends to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Keep those heads up, Sabres fans. It might not get much better, but remember, it can't get any worse. We'll see you guys soon. Dick in to Oposo. Oposo hanging on to it back at the point. Oposo drops it off in the corner to Eichel. Eichel buzzing around. Eichel in the side lane. Score!